Nice tap. Embrace the flavor of life. The way I see it is you've got two choices. You can either keep pretending like nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you, and then when it does, you're saying, uh-oh, or you can get ahead of what's coming so that when it does, not if, you're ready for it, and you're sitting pretty, sipping on Mai Tais next to the pool, working on that Caribbean suntan, because you got it covered. So folks, it's time for you to learn the truth about money. It's time for you to take back control of your money so that you are ready for what's about to happen. By doing that, you're setting yourself up for absolute success. No matter what comes your way, you're ready for it. And that's what I want for you, and I wanna help you with that. So go to chrisnoggle.com and sign up for the Wealth Webinar. We do them every Wednesday at 1 p.m., and you need to be there because it's time. For over 90 years, we've been crash testing our cars in the tireless pursuit of automotive safety. At Volvo, safety's been first since 1927. We've saved millions of lives with the invention of the three-point seatbelt in 1959. At Volvo, we've made driving safer for you and them. Visit safety.finleyvolvo.com to learn more. So they say if you give a man a gun, he'll rob a bank. But if you give a man a bank, He'll rob everybody. The good news for you is Private Money Club runs solely on peer-to-peer -peer relationships, which means no banks allowed. So finally, there's a community for real estate entrepreneurs where it is truly a win-win solution. This community is a place where you can connect with other lenders and other borrowers, and the end results, massive growth for you. You get to build your real estate empire, and you get to do it solving other people's problems. So if that sounds like a place you want to be, well then join us. Go to privatemoneyclub.com forward slash Kelly. And if you want 500 bucks off, just add the code Kelly500 and I'll knock 500 bucks off the premier membership. We'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. I keep telling you that I have the coolest friends in the entire world. And today you're going to see that you're going to experience it. I had an experience with this young lady. Uh, she has every accolade that you could possibly think of in the, uh, in the music space and in the gospel space. Um, and she has dedicated her whole entire life to doing one thing and that's praising God and to be in the joy of the Lord, which for me, the, the opportunity to be able to spend time with her is incredible. We got to uh, spend some time, uh, and we were, I believe, we were outside of uh, Atlanta. And uh, she is one of the most amazing praise and worship uh, leaders that I've ever experienced. Um, and I was into it. I had my hands raised. I was so excited. And uh, she kept singing. And she must have remixed this song for like 15 minutes. And I felt bad because I had to drop my hand. So I felt like I was less than and God was going to tell me that I needed to be a better Christian or do better in my life because her song was so beautiful. Everyone was so into it. But I couldn't keep my hands raised that long because I need to work on my fitness. So I want to welcome to the show one of the women that has helped me not only question my, my relationship with the Lord, but also push it forward and realize that praising God in every single thing that you do in your life is where God wants us. Please welcome to the show, Miss Sharon Jackson. Hello, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean for you to have your hands up for, for, for 20 minutes, but. Hey, you were getting it though. You were, you, were, you were in, you were in. When did you start singing? Oh, wow. Um, 
Kelly, I've been singing all my life. So my family is very musical family. Uh-huh. And so we all just, it's, I've always been around music. I grew up in a house with a piano in it. And then my dad actually brought in an organ. Now he brought in one of those like house organs first uh-huh. with like the half pedals. It had maybe like eight pedals on it. But then he actually brought in an actual Hammond B3, like the, the organs that you see in, in the church and especially in the black church. Right. He brought it in and the house. So- he brought it in the house with a Leslie. The Leslie is the big speaker that goes with the organ. <laughs> so the Leslie was around the corner in the dining room and the organ was in the front, the front family room. So we had a piano on one side and the organ on the other side. And, and we just always grew up around music and, and my family sung all my brothers, sisters, we had a group called the Jackson singers. And uh, people actually thought we were the Jackson Five. Sometimes we would go sing places. They're like, I thought the Jackson Five was going to be here. Nope, that's not us. (laughs) So he was Joe. He was Joe Jackson then. Well, you know, yeah. (laughs) My dad was pretty strict. Was Uh, he? Probably not that strict though. But but what kind of what kind of strict are we talking about? Like you know, because some people in their family they're like, I was strict. I didn't get to have two popsicles. Like what kind (laughs) of what kind of strict? And and also too, uh, it 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 originated in Memphis. You you guys were in Memphis. So big shout out to Mempho right there. So, uh, but but what kind of strict? Give us give us an example. Well, let's see. Strict, strict, strict. My dad was, well, like we couldn't, it it wasn't that we couldn't do a lot of things, but he was just a firm disciplinarian. And we had to make sure that, you know, if we went to bed and there was a dish left in the sink, Okay, so we hear somebody calling out of our sleep, Sharon, Barbara, get down here and wash those dishes in the sink. I don't told y'all. You know, it was that kind of thing. And and my dad, though, it was just super big on integrity. You know, so if we said we were going to do something, we had to do it. If we gave our word, we had to follow through, you know, and there was no getting out of it. Um, we got a lot of spankings, a lot of whippings, you know. Well, I didn't get as many as the rest because I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> what advantages did you get as a baby? Because this is this is one. I was the baby in the family, and I remember okay. one time a Christmas where my parents got me everything under the sun. You know, the racetrack, wow. the Nintendo, they got, well, all the stuff that we could afford. But they got right. my brother, to this day, he still is angry about it. They got him underwear socks and a brush and he was in he was in eighth grade at this time like that is awful christmas yeah that's an awful christmas talk to us about being the baby well being the baby i i don't think i was that privileged but my my all my siblings say that i was spoiled and i got whatever i wanted and I'm like, well, if I was spoiled, somebody had to spoil me. I couldn't spoil myself, right? So <laughs> it wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault. No, it wasn't my fault. Um, my dad used to call me though the sweetest thing in the house. And uh-huh. now there's six there were six kids, and I was the youngest out of all of them. And uh and I some kind of way I garnered the name of being the sweetest thing in the house. And so it's probably because I was just 
I don't know. I I was very sensitive as a child and uh-huh. I cried easy and, you know, just all of that. But that comes from having six, five siblings that pick on you all the time. So, yeah. you know, you, you know <laughs> I, I got, I did get picked on a lot. So, but, so um, the, the Jackson six. Okay. Uh, so with the, when you guys were traveling as the Jackson six with uh, good old Joe, um, <laughs> did, did you love, did you love the music right away? I mean, was it, or was it something that was kind of almost forced? No, I loved it. We all loved it. It was, it was just something that was almost like it just came innately from inside of us. Um, super, when I say musical family, so I, like I have a brother uh, Derek Jackson, he's, he's the, the fourth child, uh, third, third youngest, the third son. Right. And so he, um, my dad was the organist at the church that we were part of. I was probably two years old, maybe something like that. And my dad was like the assistant pastor, but he was also the organist played for the choir. Well, he was out of town this one, this one service. There was nobody there to play. And they tell me that my brother just went and got on the organ and just started playing. His feet couldn't touch the pedals. He's just, he's just playing. And it's like that innate ability. It was like, it's always been like a God given ability with all of my family, all of my siblings. Um, and, and music has just always been what we've done. And, and I love it. We've always loved it. We would sit around the kitchen table and harmonize. Like we'd start, we had this song we love to do, Down by the Old Mill Stream. Are you familiar with that old yes, song? Yes, yes. Down by the old, yeah. And so my sister or somebody would start singing it and then the rest of us would join in and harmonize around it. Always, we were always singing something. What about, what about the relationship with the Lord? Because a lot of times when you're in like church early on, or sometimes it's, it's a part, people have the tendency to go the other way. They have the tendency to say like, okay, that's good, but it's kind of forced on me. When did it start? When did you start to own your love for the Lord? Um, 12, the age of 12 actually is what. I remember, I remember at 12 because, so for me growing up, PK, my dad started pastoring when I was three. And um, I have vague memories being three. I remember standing on some steps outside of this church with my mom. My mom was praying that the Lord would give us a church building. And we were standing on, and I I vaguely remember that. And I vaguely remember the first time I walked into our church um, at the age of three. And I remember seeing two ladies, two older Caucasian ladies that were sitting there in the church. Um, And so, but I've all, this has always been ingrained in me. So my parents were those type of parents who, they kind of remind me of your your mom and your pops, right? Um, because the thing that my dad preached was the way, was what he lived at home, and so we always saw that there wasn't like one thing we saw at church and something different at home. And he taught us how to just 
live an integrous life from a very early age. Um, and so growing up in it, I, I, it was always this thing where whenever they would have an altar call, I would feel like I need to go to the altar because I don't know if I'm really saved or not. I mean, you know, as a young child, but I remember at the age of 12 actually saying, I'm going to make this decision to, you know, ask the Lord to come into my life. So now I have a point where I can say, this is when I know I accepted Christ. Even though I, I was walking, I believe he was in my heart all that time. Yeah. But when you're young and, and you feel like at that point, you felt like if you did the slightest thing wrong, you know, you messed up and you got to get saved all over again. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time at the altar getting saved all over again. Yes. Uh, but I, I really, I think around the age of 12 is when I really came to a, a understanding that, you know, this is, I, I really am saved. And it's not this having to keep running back and forth to the altar. It's just, yeah, I'm going to mess up from time to time, but but I'm still saved, you know, you ask God to forgive you and you keep moving, you know? Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I spent a lot of time at the altar as a young child. <laughs> I really did. I so, didn't want to go to hell, you know, back then they used to kiss God hell. And I didn't, I didn't want to go to hell. So. What did then, you think? What did you think hell was? Cause I remember the first time I heard about it, I thought it was just like, you know, just flames going. And then there was a pitchfork and there was the guy that we all see. Right, what, exactly. what was the picture that was painted of hell for you? What was painted a hell for me was this bottomless pit, which I couldn't imagine. I'm falling forever in flames and, and burning up and I can't die. And, you know, they told us about the, the worms and the gnashing of teeth. I mean, it was just like, and the, and the sulfur, the smell, I mean, you know, there were so they many things. They said sulfur? Oh yeah. Who said yeah. sulfur? Did your pastor say that? I don't remember where I heard it Good. from, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things that they, that, you know, coming up in the black Pentecostal church, you know, it was maybe a little different because they would really <laughs> preach hell, fire and brimstone, right? Uh -huh. Hell, fire and brimstone. That's the sulfur, right? So hell, fire and brimstone. It was, you know, and you didn't want to go. And so you got saved <laughs> out of fear. You went to that altar. You were like, I am not going to the bottomless pits stanking like sulfur. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. But you, you just hit on something too. And I think a lot of people don't maybe understand this because they've never experienced it. Like in the, in the black Pentecostal church, what is the difference when a person says, oh yeah, Sharon, I've been to church before. I grew up, you know, in this place, maybe I grew up in Iowa or I grew up in Ohio or wherever it was. Mm -hmm. I've went to church, but not all churches are the same. Not yeah. one is better than the other, but what are the differences besides the hellfire and brimstone <laughs> that, that forced you to the altar? Well, you know, um, being in the Black Pentecostal Church is a lively experience. I mean, it's the hand clapping, it's the toe tapping, it's the, you know, the dancing before the Lord. We call it shouting. We didn't call it dancing. Um, and it's just this, there's a lot of um, 
jubilistic, jubilant, I don't, I don't know the word. I think jubilistic is a word I made up. Jubilant praise. You know, it's this, it's this um, freedom really to just kind of, um, you know, throw your hands up, you know, say amen, you know. Um, and, and that was my experience uh, growing up in a Pentecostal church. I'm grateful that um, my father was was a man who studied the word. Mm. So even though while we had that Pentecostal thrust to our services, we were still really fed the foundational truths of the word of God. Mm. And I think that's what has really kept me grounded all my life. <laughs> you know, um, just how do you see that. how do you see people go kind of astray on that? Because I think a lot of times people get locked into the um, when you were talking about the jubilant side or you, you get mm-hmm. locked into the, the ritual part of it and yeah. you see that happen and they're like, oh, I need to get excited. But yeah, it's not grounded and rooted in the word. Right. There's a lot there's a lot of function, you know, and you see that people know how to function. Um, and I use, I, I'll use the scripture where it says, uh, they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof where they, they can, they can show it on the outside, but there's been no real transformation on the inside. And a lot of that comes because they grew up in these settings where this is, this is just what you do when you go to church. This is just, you know, you dance, you shout, you sing, you do all these things, but then if there's no real change, then, you know, it's, mm. it's just all function. My, my, my current pastor has this thing where he talks about being uh, devotional and not emotional because we tend to be, become very emotional at times, but where's the devotion? Where's, where, where, where's the heart change? Where's the true love for God and love for his people? Because I can go through all the motions. I can, I can have church with the best of them, you know, but how, how well do I love the person that's sitting next to me? How well do I love the person that's out on the street? How well do I show love to others? Because I think that's the true litmus test of my walk and my relationship with God. You know, how can I say that I love God, but I don't love the person that I can see right next to me. So it, I think that's a true litmus test, you know, um, of what, well, he said, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love, you know, not by how well you dance and shout. <laughs> or, you know, Paul said that the body we exercise profited little. And, and, and a lot of times we will in the Pentecostal church use that to say that it's not all in the dance and the shout, you know, it's really in your, in your heart. Has your heart been changed? Um, do you really have compassion, you know, for people? And so, you know, that, that's what I grew up in. And, and my parents were some of the most loving people. Um, we had so many people that lived in our house. <laughs> you know, you can't really do that today. But <laughs> growing up, there was always somebody living in the house with us because <laughs> my parents would let people come in. They didn't have anywhere to go. They uh-huh. didn't have a home. You know, so we just always learned how to just be loving and giving people, you know. 
Well, how do you reconcile too? Because I think a lot of times people will judge God on man's inconsistencies. And you just alluded to it earlier where you said you had an example of a, of a man in your dad that not only was singing, praising, and in the word on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he was doing the same thing. But yeah. then we run into times where we hear a godly person, we're around a godly environment, and then we see the behind the scenes and we're like, ah, and sometimes we have the tendency to judge God on that and we'll back away from our relationship with God because of man's yeah. challenges. How were you able yeah. to, uh, to almost uh, rectify that in your life? Um, um, again, I think it's because I had seen by example that you can live this out. I mean, you can, you can be consistent. You can be integral in your walk with God. Um, and then I, I got to the point where just me personally, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to do things that I felt would disappoint God. So as when I was a young child, um, I always sensed the hand of God on my life. I didn't quite understand a lot of it until I got older, but, um, developing that relationship with him. Um, and, and then when I started leading worship and I started understanding the life of a worshiper, that is not just um, the songs that I sing on Sunday morning for 15, 20, 30 minutes, however long. Um, but it's, it's the life that I live daily. And, and it, it dawned on me when there's an older mother, she was a, a grandparent of some very good friends of mine. And she told me, she said, you know, a lot of times we believe that giving God glory is when we're in the church and we're lifting our hands and we're doing all this, that, and the other. She says, but we really give God glory when we walk out the door. That's when we really begin to give God glory with our life, the life that we live. And I really began to internalize that and understand that, well, hey, it's, it's, it's more about the life I'm living when I'm not behind the microphone. You know, it's the life I'm living when I'm at school or when I'm dealing with my friends or when I'm at work and the boss is not there. You know, it's it's those kind of integral things that uh, I came to realize that everything about my life is to give glory to God, because that's why we were created. We were created for his glory. And and um, we look at everything that God created. We look at the trees, we look at the birds, we look at everything, even the mountains and all of that, the oceans, by just being what they are, they give glory to God just by being what they are because the tree goes through its cycle, but it provides a place for the birds and the birds sing. I mean, whatever it is, it points to the glory of God. The heavens declare his glory. The earth declares his glory. And we were created for the same purpose. So, but we have to, but we, because we have will and choice, we have to be intentional that, we're going to live in such a way that it does bring glory to God, you know? So we let men see our good works. You know, we let our light shine and they see our good works and they glorify the father in heaven. If I was to sum you up in one word, it would be joy all the time. Like 
Anytime I see you online, uh, when I saw you in person, I mean, you're smiling the whole time. Even when I'm giving you the business, but I'm giving you a hard time about <laughs> remixing a song and making my arms feel bad and make me feel like a worse Christian because I couldn't keep my arms up the whole time during your song. Um, <laughs> how do you keep joy when God's time is not your time? Like when you want Ooh. something to happen and it ain't happening when you want it to happen. Yeah, that, <laughs> that can be a little tough. Uh, <laughs> But it is, it's knowing that even though Kelly, it hasn't happened because God said it or, or because he's given me that confirmation that this is what he wants to do in my life. And, and then maybe I don't know what God wants to do. I just know that this is not what I want. What's happening right now is not what I want. Um, but it's, it's really trusting God and trusting the sovereignty of God, knowing that wherever my life is right now, he has a plan. And as long as I um, stay in, you know, if, if I just seek him, I, I acknowledge him, I commit my ways to him, then his plan for my life, which is so much better than anything I could ever plan for myself, it's, it's going to come to pass, you know, it's going to happen because he's not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent. So, uh, and, and he says, I know the plan that I have for you, the thoughts that I think toward you, said the Lord, thoughts that are good and not evil to give you an expected end, to give you a future and a hope. And so that I have to rely on that, Kelly, when, even when, when it hurts and I know this is, this is not what I want to be happening in my life right now. I had so many other plans that I'd be here by now. <laughs> I'd be doing this by now. I'd have all of this. I would have attained all of this stuff and done this, that, and the other. And, and it's not, it hasn't happened. Uh -huh. um, but I just, I'm, and I'm going to say this too, Kelly, I believe it's the work of the Holy spirit because, um, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, uh -huh. peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and, and temperance, self-control. So it's, it's all of those. When we allow Holy spirit to like really have control of our lives, uh -huh. he produces that fruit in our life. And so there's the fruit of love. There's the fruit of joy. There's the fruit of peace where I can stay calm, even though all hell is breaking loose <laughs> around me, like, you know? And, and Kelly, you can't tell me you don't have the joy of the Lord because, you know, you you smile and you, you seem to laugh through everything, you know? You laugh I think at the, yourself. And that's I, think the, I think it's the only way through. When is the last time God messed with you, though? Like, okay, I'll give you an example. The, the other day, I, I got on my bike. Now, I got on my bike and it, it was, uh, I, I, for the audience, I went, I went full spandex a couple years ago. It was a hard thing for me to go to, um, looking like a caterpillar up in that bad boy. But, uh, but I got on my bike and I was like, I'm gonna beat my record. Cause there's this hill and, and at times, like I put a little app, it's called Strava. Shout out to Strava if you want to sponsor the podcast and, and it tracks it. So I was like, I got out on my bike and in my head, I was like, I just need to enjoy the time. 
This is not a, this, this is, and this is how I was talking to myself. It's not about a record today, Kelly. It's just about enjoying the ride. Well, then I was feeling kind of light and I was like, I could smash this record today. So I got to the hill, got on the bottom, started riding and I was hitting it hard. And I was like, I know I got, I, I probably cut this record in half. And I was like, yeah. I got it. And then I got to the top of the hill at the, uh, at the stoplight where the, the, the little track ends where they mm-hmm. time you. And I went to grab my phone in the back of my jacket and I realized that I hadn't turned on my app. Oh no. (laughs) And what God said to me, he said, boy, it is not about the record. It is about you enjoying this ride. And I was like, and, and it was like the, the, the heavens opened up Sharon and like, you know, it was God, like a dove ascended on me, I believe, and rode with me for the rest of the time. And I thanked Jesus and I praised him. I didn't sing like you. But then I got home and I, the whole day I was telling people, it's about the journey. It's about the journey. Be present. Then the next morning I got up and I went to get on my bike and I was like, yeah, yeah, what, uh, who cares about that present stuff? I'm about to smash this record. <laughs> and, and, and I turned my app on. I was, I, was, I was there. I turned my app on. And then I turned on my music too because I turned on some hip hop, right? Some EPMD radio on Pandora. It was, it was edited, so don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I was listening to it, some Red Man, some uh, Method Man, and I was going up the hill. I was pumped, and I was ready right to the hill. And I get on it, and I start going. I'm like, I'm going to beat this record today. And you know what happened? What happened? Phone died. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, God, are you kidding me? Like, I was about to smash this record. He was messing with me. When's the last Mm -hmm. time that God messed with you? And you you wanted to question him a little bit. Oh, wow. Well, see, I don't think God messes with me like he messes with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It, it's, how, you know, that's a good question, Kelly. I have to think about that one because it's, it's amazing when I, when I hear your stories, like I listen to your stories and you are so present to the presence of God. It's like you see him almost in everything that, that happens in your life. And, and, um, and I'm getting there. I am. I'm, and, and one, I have a, I have a Facebook page called the behold moment Uh where I started. It's a group where I kind of started dealing with the whole thing of, uh, lean in and paying attention that God is always present in all the details in the very details of your life. But I have to admit that sometimes I just don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't make that connection. And God talks to you. I'm like, God, talk to me like you talked to Kelly. That's, but when's the, when's the last time cool. that you, que- when's the last time you questioned him? I the asked last this- time I questioned him. I asked this question to my men's group and a lot of guys were like, oh, well, I just uh, reside in the faith. And I was like, (laughs) then I'm horrible. I'm not going to the heaven, the level of heaven you're going to. Because, I mean, I'm saying like, there's times where I see people doing stuff and I'm like, and they're succeeding. And I'm like, God, I've been studying you. I've been with you. I've been praising you. I've been trying to keep my hands up for the whole song of Sharon, but I can't. (laughs) But now you're going to bless that dude over there? Come on, man. Yeah. Like, do you yeah, get that way? Get or is it. that just me? No, I've been there. I've been there, too. I've been there where, you know, um, for me, it's like I've, I've dedicated my whole life. I've dedicated my entire life to to 
the work of the ministry. Matter of fact, I've worked in ministry. Ah, there you go, right there. I have worked in ministry, Kelly, since probably um, I graduated from college and I worked for the state for a year. So then after that, I started working in ministry. I worked at a nonprofit. And then from there, I started working for my dad for the church. And so most of my adult life, all of my adult life has been working in ministry for church and ministry in the black church <laughs> does not pay a whole lot. <laughs> it just doesn't pay. And I have been like, Lord, you know, I've dedicated my entire life to you. I've, I have, and, and yet I see things happen for so many others and, and it doesn't happen for me. You know, even when it comes to um, relationships. So like I was married uh, 14 years. I got married, got married kind of late at 28. Um, had two beautiful daughters. I love them. They're wonderful. Um, but the marriage only lasted 14 years. I've been divorced 15 years now. And so I'm like, Lord, all these other people get divorced and remarried like that. <laughs> what's what's wrong with me? Why hasn't anything happened for me? You know, it's it's those kind of things, especially when I'm like, I've I have I've committed my life. I've done what you've told me to do. I've mm -hmm. I've lived like you've asked me to live, and so why why doesn't this? You know, uh, he just doesn't give me an answer. Uh -huh. <laughs> so just, uh, let me ask you this: after 14 years. Um, what's the deciding factor? Cause a lot of times people at 14 years, they're like, oh, well, I don't like you, but we've been in 14 years, so we might as well just go the distance. Yeah. Um, actually Kelly, I, I had that mindset that, well, it's not great, but I made this vow. I made this commitment to God and I'm going to stick with it. And, um, he came home one evening and he was just, he was like a different person. And, um, and he, he wanted out, he wanted to be free out from the marriage. Now I had, I had, I hadn't been very happy probably for the last five years uh -huh. in the marriage. Um, and, and this is really interesting cause you know, God teaches you a lot when you're in those like dark places. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a little handbook that I wrote some years ago on praise and worship, right? And one of the things that the Lord dealt with me about was there's a song that we sing in the black church called I'm Happy with Jesus Alone, right? And the Lord asked me one day, if you never experience this type of intimacy again, you know, in your marriage or ever, could you be happy with just me? <laughs> Kelly. And so did you answer uh, right away? I had to think about it. I really okay. had to think about it. And uh and in thinking about it, I had I had made up my mind that, well, Lord, at that at that point I felt like I really had no other choice but to be happy with just him. Because I wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. I wasn't going to leave my marriage. And so um but he came home one day and he was like, he wanted out. And it was really, as, and, and that it had come up in the past, but I never gave into it. 
but huh. that particular day, uh, it was as if a door opened. It was as if the Lord himself was saying, okay, Sharon, I'm making this way for you. Uh, still, um, I went on and said, okay, but I didn't find out till later that, you know, there had been like infidelities and all of that going on. And, and in my mind, that was really the only reason to leave a marriage is if okay. there was infidelity that was, and, or if he's slapping you upside your head, you know, uh -huh. you don't stay. Yeah. Um, and, and so then I felt more like, okay, God, you knew you had this all the time and you wanted to free me from this situation because I really, I really felt bound. I felt trapped. Um, but I wasn't going anywhere because I, I didn't know, I didn't know, everything he was doing out there yeah. when, when he wasn't at home, you know? And so, um, so yeah, but the, you know, the Lord gave me the, the strength I needed to be able to go through with it. And, uh, and he's kept me for these, these 15 years. Yeah. Can you talk about the, the experience though, being as prominent as you are in the church and your dad being a pastor, a worship leader, and then you going through this, because I think a lot of people, when they do go through it, they think they're alone or they think mm -hmm. that there's, I mean, there's a lot, not just the marriage dissolving, but when you're a public figure like yourself in a, in, in, especially in church and especially in the South and especially in a, in a, in a black church, yeah. You're going to be, I mean, there's involvement as far as cultural wise with the people in the congregation. How were you able to deal with that? And what kind of things did you have to go through? Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's always going to be the talk, you know, well, I guess she just couldn't hold on to him or I guess, it's, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, I just, really, I had to really just kind of keep my focus on, um, on my girls and making sure that they were good, making sure they were okay and keeping my focus on what I know God had called me to do. Um, I had been leading worship since I was 20, since I was 20, I started leading worship at 20, 1986. Yeah, 1986. So, um, and throughout all of that, even during the tough times in my marriage, I mean, cause we went through some really rough periods, um, going through those rough periods, I always kept my praise. I never lost my praise. And it was really my praise that carried me through um, that's where I found strength. That's where I found the ability to just keep going. It was my hiding place. And I had to really learn how to praise God through the pain. Um, and, but that's what kept me. And I continued to praise God. And a lot of people didn't, never even knew that I would be going through things because I just continued to praise God through it all. Um, and I think that's really what sustained me, even after the divorce and uh, having to learn how to do life on my own and and everything that came with that, you know, the bad credit and everything that follows, <laughs> you know, just really just, Lord, 
you got me. I know you got me. I'm just going to keep praising you. I'm going to keep giving you glory even through it all when it, when it doesn't feel good and it doesn't look good, you know? How do you, how do you find that strength and how do you do that? Cause I remember coming home one day and my mom said to me, I praised God for your asthma. And I was like, first of all, mom, what's wrong with you? Because you shouldn't be <laughs> thanking God for anything that was hurting me. I mean, but she said, I praise God for your, uh, for your asthma. He says that he's in the midst of the praise of his people to praise him in all things and praise unlocks blessing. And I was like, well, then there ain't going to be no blessing today. Cause I ain't trying to praise you for some stuff that's hurting me. Right. Yeah. But what I found was I went into the room, I sat down and reluctantly hard nosed, hard headed kid. I was like, all right, God, thank you. He was like, I don't believe you. And then I said it again. <laughs> And he was like, I still don't believe you. This was like after an hour by myself in the room arguing with, with God. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. literally out, out loud. And then about three hours in, I'm like, all right, bro, you got, you got me. I'm going to praise you. And I praised him. And from that day forward, I've never struggled with asthma ever again. Wow. Wow. I, I had to go in two, three times. Sharon, like, Sharon, do you just go to the praise? Like, I mean, <laughs> does someone hit you in your car and you're like, praise the Lord. Let me sing a no. song real quick over the top of you and just, you know, anoint you with some oil or, you know, is there a time where you want to take the earrings out, put some Vaseline on and get to work? There, there are those times, right? There, look, <laughs> I'm still human. <laughs> there are times when I want to give somebody a piece of my mind. Not that I even know how to do that, but I do want to give there a time when I want to, when I want to give somebody, you know, I just want to tell them off, but then it's like, I can't do it. But, uh, but yeah, there, there are those moments and, um, it doesn't always come easy. Sometimes I have to, I have to press in, you know, um, if I don't feel good or I'm really tired or, you know, when things aren't really going like I want them to go. But I know that there's there's a victory that comes in the praise. And then when he says, uh, I believe it was Paul who said, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, you know, um, it's not for everything, but it's in everything. <laughs> okay, God, I'm going to thank you for this, but I will thank you in this. Are there because some, are there some verses that when you read them, that you, that, that you kind of question a little bit? Like the other day I was, I was reading in Proverbs and, and my wife looked into Proverbs, right? And she, she was like, what, what are you reading? And I read it to her and it was talking about adultery and the wayward woman and all this stuff. And she was like, why is he always trying to bring a woman down? Like he ain't talking about guys like that. And I, and I, for a second, I was like, damn, like so I had to have a conversation with God. And he was saying that to me that when he was speaking about adultery, he wasn't speaking about a woman. He was doing it metaphorically saying anything ahead of me was adultery. So if you worshiped anything above God, then that was adultery in your relationship with God. And I had to yeah. explain that to my wife and she went like this. <laughs> is Sharon, is there verses because I mean, praise and worship, you've been a praise. I mean, you've been a worship leader for that long. You've been in the church, you know, 
Like God obviously has a different place. He has a uh, like a first class place in heaven for you. I'm gonna be in co- I'm gonna be in coach in the back of the plane. You know, I'm gonna be like Sharon. Can I get some snacks? You'll be like, Nah. I'll see you when we land. You know what I mean? Is is there is there some verses that you're like I don't know about that one? Well, you know, there's there's some verses that. Um, I don't particularly, may not particularly care for, you know. <laughs> do tell, where, do tell. verses where he says, after you have suffered a while, you know, af, you know, <laughs> uh, where he says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that's to try you. No, I don't, I don't, I don't like the fiery trial, you know, um, but it's, it's, it's what comes after that, um, that you have to look toward, you know, you look at, you know, um, after you've suffered a while, then, then he'll make you, he'll, he'll establish you, he'll settle you, he'll, he'll make you perfect. It's those, so I'm like, oh God, so I got to go through this process to get here. Can't you just get me here? You're God. Can't you just do the work, just change my heart and just make me like you want me to be. But no, there's, I have to go through a process to get there. And that's, that's what people don't like. That's what none of us like the process. (laughs) None of us like the process. I have this illustration that I give Kelly about um, baking a cake. And and it's all about purpose because God processes us to get us to our purpose so we can fulfill our purpose, why he placed us here. And when you're baking a cake, you've got a reason. You're baking the cake for a reason, right? Whether it's birthday cake or it's just for dessert that day, whatever. But all the ingredients that go into a cake, they're not good in and of themselves. You know, you've got your flour, um, you've got your your egg, your raw egg, you've got, you know, even your sugar, your butter, all of those things by themselves are not that great. You know, try, you know, eating a spoonful of, of flour. <laughs> Or, 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 you know, even a spoonful of sugar is too sweet. You know, it's like, you know, vanilla flavor. Have you ever tasted vanilla flavor like by itself? It's right. But the baker knows that when I put all this together, it's going to, it's going to make something. And, and our life can be like that. We have the flour, we have the the raw egg, all of those things are not great, but God knows that when he starts to put those things together, all things work together, right? For good. And so he's mixing it up. If that batter could talk, that batter would be like, what's going on here? This is my, (laughs) no, this is too much. This is happening. This is happening. I'm just feeling like what the what, you know, Um, but it's for a purpose. So God keeps mixing, you know, and then he has to put it in the, the right pan, whatever kind of cake you want. You want a bunt cake, you put it in a bunt pan, right? So he molds us, he shapes us. And then sometimes if you're a really good baker, you're going to let the cake kind of sit there for a while. So the batter will settle and and you got to, you know, all the bubbles can, the air bubbles can come to the top and pop out. You know, so sometimes we have to sit and wait and we don't like that. But this is the hard part. The cake has to go in the oven. It has to go in the fire. It has to go in the heat. And that's the part we really don't like is being in the fire, but it's necessary. And if 
the cake, if you take the cake out too soon, what happens? It falls. But because there's a purpose for it, that baker is going to go back and start all over. And so God will just, when we don't stay in the process, when we jump out of the process, he has to put us back. He has to start over. And then we have to go through the process again until we get to the place where he can finish the work. He's able to finish it. He says that Paul says, I'm fully persuaded that he who began a good work in me is able to complete it until the day of Christ. But sometimes we don't let him complete it. We get ahead of the process. We don't like the process. Sharon, I thought you were going like to give that. me, I thought you were going to give me a little bit of a shortcut. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're, you're <laughs> close to the Lord. I thought you were going to be like, look, here's the secret. You know what I mean? To get past, to get through some of this process stuff. That I wish there was a secret. I, I wish the easy bake oven was my journey. You know what I mean? Cause it's not that hot. It comes quick. You know what I mean? Right. 10 minutes tops. tops and you're ready. Yeah. So Sharon, how does this, this joy part, I want to, I want to explore the joy part and the, the joy that you have in you, because again, like your smile, I mean, lights up everything, everything. When I, when, when we first met and James Dixon, our friend, uh, who, uh, unbelievable human being and him and I belly laugh almost every single day we're on the phone and it's, we're not talking about the the blessings of the Lord. We're talking right. about like he's snapping on me, uh, you know, giving me. He's joking about everything. It's it's hilarious. But when I met you, I could see this joy, right? But I also know that that's a choice because you grew up in a time and in a place that you could have chose not to be joyful, and you could have chose some some anger and division because you grew up in Memphis, Tennessee in the late six, in the mid to late sixties. And that is, that was a hotbed. And for those of you who have never lived, I lived in Memphis and I didn't understand the South until I moved to the South. And if you've never lived in the South, you don't understand the South. I don't yeah. care how much, uh, outcast you've listened to or yeah. uh, goody mob, or you're like, yeah, I, I no, you don't understand. But can you talk about how you were able to keep this joy, this love, and this positive outlook when the environment that you grew up in was not as conducive for that type of attitude. Yeah. Um, wow. It, 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 and it is a choice. It's, it's, a it's a definite choice that you're going to choose, you know, um, it's kind of like where Jesus gives the instruction. If a man slaps you, um, one, you, you turn and you, you know, you offer him the other one. <laughs> but, but take, take oh. us to, take us to Memphis. You know, you're born in 1966. Take right. us to Memphis in the late sixties. For those of you who haven't done your history lesson, read about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. But this is some of the craziest. I mean, this is some of the, the, the worst times. Yeah. And yeah. can you paint the picture so people can understand it? Because I don't think for me, understanding and knowing that you come from there, that you come from Memphis mm -hmm. gives me a whole different respect for your joy. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a difficult time. It was a very tough time, especially for African-Americans. Um, I was born in 66. Um, I know, uh, 
around that time, shortly thereafter, was the strike, the sanitation strike, because uh, Blacks were not considered uh, to be even fully human, you know, and in the sanitation strikes of the 60s, the, the sanitation workers uh, were walking with the signs, and I'm sure you've seen the signs, the big letter, I am a man. Um, there was so much racism, so much um, bigotry, um, and my parents being there in the South, they had just they had just recently moved from Chicago, so they had come down from the North, um, and they were in the midst of all of this. My dad would tell us that he started going to some of these rallies and some of these these uh, meetings where they were trying to organize and the blacks were coming together. But he said that the more that he went to these these meetings, the angrier he started to get as a as a black man. He just started becoming so angry that he had to make the choice not to go to those meetings. It wasn't that he did not um, have compassion or he did not identify with the things that were going on. My dad worked. Um, for a Caucasian doctor named Dr. Jean Stallman, who was in Chicago at Northwestern University. My dad was working in the research lab with him. And he got transferred, Dr. Stallman was transferred to University of Tennessee in Memphis. And he asked my dad to come with him. So my dad comes down and he's working in this environment with, you know, just many Caucasians and, but yet uh, he had to make the choice that he wasn't going to allow that anger and that hatred to build up in him. Um, I, and then of course in 68, Martin Luther King was, was assassinated. Um, now I don't recall a lot. My sister who is three years older than me was five, was, she was about to be five because I was about to turn two when Martin Luther King died. And my sister says she just remembers my mom hearing the news on TV and she just fell out in the middle of the floor and just started screaming. Um, because he was our quote unquote, almost like our, our savior. I mean, apart from Jesus, right? He was the one who was helping to bring about change for black people and, um, and so it was it was a very difficult time. And even beyond that, growing up as a young um, as a young girl in school, you know, there was just there was you always ran into issues with racism. You always ran into issues of not being treated the same, not being able to uh, have the same things that others had. And it can be so easy to allow that hatred to build up in your heart and you look at people differently. You know, you look at white people as, as you know, as mean or as, as bad or evil. You know, how can they do that? How can they treat us? We're human just like they are. Um, but I believe because, um, again, I have to, defer to my parents who were such wonderful examples 
of what it means to really love people and regardless of their color. So one of my dad's closest friends during that time was um, a guy named Ed Thomas. My And Ed was married to Camille and they had two kids, Kevin and Susan. And every year we would go on a family vacation with them. And Ed loved the water. So my dad had a boat. My dad loved the water. We'd take the motorboat out on the lake. We'd go to like Pickwick Dam or we'd go to, um, we'd go up into the Ozarks. We'd go wherever we went, there had to be water. There had to be water. And so, um, and they taught my dad how to water ski. I mean, they were some of the closest friends that, that we had. And so my we never, um, we were never taught to look at white people differently. Mm. We were, we were, we were taught to always love. And, and, and so as a matter of fact, my best friend from first grade through sixth grade in elementary school used to go to sixth grade when I was little. So my best friend all through elementary school was um, a white girl named Pamela Mabry. And we were like, we were like this. I mean, you couldn't separate us. And, um, and so I just never, I never, you know, Kelly, it wasn't until I got older and, you know, and I'm going to say even in more recent years that the enemy tries to make me look at white people different. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, but I'm not going to do that because I choose to, I have to see the person and not the skin color. I have to look at the heart of that person. And, and we've been, this country has gone through so much over recent years, so much, but, um, I, I, I have no other choice. Kelly, I can't, I can't not love you because then if I, if I don't love you, I can't say that I love God. There's no way that I can say I love God, but I can't love you, you know, and, and that that's in me, that's ingrained in me. Mm. And so, um, and again, it's because of, I believe how, my what the foundation that my parents built for me to to that I build on now myself through my study of the word through my walk and my personal relationship with God allowing him to reveal himself to me in in new ways every day you know that that's it's all built on that that foundation you know Sharon how can you foster what you just said, a personal relationship with God as opposed to a religion? It ha Well, first of all, um, for me, it is, it's a matter of, it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of um, letting go control and saying, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you in this. I'm going to let you do what you want to do in my life. It's, it's, it's understanding, 
um, that his plan for me, his will for my life is the best thing that I've got going. Because, <laughs> you know, Kelly, I, I'm just, I don't trust my own judgment. I don't trust my ability to make the right choices and make the right decisions. You know, I've, I've made, I've flubbed up so many times. And so I've learned how to just, um, looking to him and, and then allowing him to just be God in my life. Like, and, and it's really about taking my hands off, not, not, you know, we, we're people that love to be in control. We love to control everything. We want to control the outcome of this and the outcome of that. And just like you wanted to control, you know, mastering that heel, you know, uh, but God took the control completely out of your hand. <laughs> nope. I, I, I believe that was the devil trying to, uh, to, to rob my joy is what it was. So, uh. <laughs> It's really, it's it's learning how to um, how to trust God on the journey, mm -hmm. and and letting Him really be a friend. Yeah, you know, and 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 trusting that relationship, trusting that friendship, um, seeking Him. You know, getting into the Word, learning more about His ways, yeah, um, and His will, and and just allowing that to become uh, engrafted, you know, in your, in your heart, you know. Sharon, when you know. were, when you were talking about it earlier and you said, you said something about, uh, you know, you, you went through it, you said, you know, you experienced racism, things like that. As a kid, can you take us back to a place where little Sharon experienced something that had you in a place where you're asking, like, were you ever at a place where you're asking God, like, why, like, really, why is this happening? I mean, here you are a little girl, you didn't choose, but you're being treated in a completely different way. And the reason why I say it is because people, a lot of times will talk about the overarching, but they don't talk about that specific. I was at the candy store. I, had this happen or I talked to this person to help people to understand the, the gravity of those type of situations and how, again, how you were able to choose joy and choose love during those times. Oh, well, honestly, Kelly, so in my childhood, um, I really have to say that personally, I can't like pinpoint where there was, where I was quote unquote mistreated per se. Uh, if I was, I, I probably just pushed it out of my head and didn't think about it anymore. Um, I do remember though being bullied by a, a girl, you know, a black girl in school, you know, but, but I was never, um, I can't quote unquote pinpoint. Now I did see, and, and that's why I say, um, it wasn't until I, I think I got older and I started noticing things because 
I experienced racism with my daughters. So the school that they went to, which was basically an all white school, there were some things that I saw uh, directed toward them that I thought was was uh, racist. But that was, you know, I'm a grown person mm -hmm. now. Um, but as a child, I think maybe, maybe I was just blind to it or oblivious to it uh -huh. um, because it wasn't the thing that I really looked for. Because even, even though I was growing up in that, the schools I went to were basically all black schools. And then, um, you know, our church, we went to the grocery store, but we lived in a black community. Now there were a few uh, white people in our community, but for the most part, it was a black community. It was a, it was a nice black community. Yeah. It was kind of upscale, but, but uh, well, I wouldn't even call it upscale, but let, it was middle class. Sharon, let's talk about that because I was in an industry for years that, mm -hmm. and your industry, these are the only two industries that it's actually okay to be segregated. And when I say this, I, I say that and I like literally I could hear a pin drop from people like, how in the hell, where is he going with this one? Yeah. I was in the professional beauty industry for 30 years. Right. It was the only industry that I ever saw. Now that I'm hearing your side and hearing your industry, it was the only industry that it was socially acceptable mm -hmm. to be completely 100% segregated. Right. And when I look at it now with yours, with the church, yeah. That is a place that is labeled like that yeah. says, oh, it's a black church. Oh, it's a white church. It's a white church. Does yeah. that make sense? Why is that? <laughs> I think, I think for the church, I think it's culture. I think it has to do with cultural differences. Um, I, I do see that now there there are churches that are breaking those barriers uh -huh. um but um for i believe it most of it is cultural it's because you know our style of worship can be so different from from uh say a white person or a white church um and you know, cause, cause we like to get noisy, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you have white churches where they like to just stay quiet and reverential, you know? Um, but I see now that, you know, and I'm going to say in the last 20 years, you're starting to see more of a blending, um, where, people are coming together more in that regard, but there's still, it's still said Kelly that Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated time ever because black people go to their churches and white people go to their churches and we worship the way that we worship and they worship the way that they worship. And I think that's all culture. Um, ah. For me in praise and worship, um, we all praise differently. Right. Some people like to jump and shout and run and other people like, you know, like Kelly will lift his hands and, <laughs> and for, a, for a quarter of the song for a quarter. Like, yeah. They, um, but what I have noticed is that even though we all might praise differently, when we get to the place of worship, because I do think there's a difference. Praise, praise gets us to that place of worship. Praise kind of conditions our heart and our mind. It helps us elevate ourselves to, 
to be able to now we've 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 gotten we've we've pushed all the other stuff out now i can just focus on god and and when it becomes intimate when it becomes vertical it, it becomes worship and and but every but worship looks the same to me across all cultures wow to me worship looks the same and while my praise might be different because i might you know cut a step <laughs> um, when i get to worship you i can't tell i can't tell people apart even going into other countries uh, i had the opportunity to go to tanzania and while it's a it's a black country um, and they love to dance. They dance more than I do. Man, they love to dance over there. You start singing, they start dancing. It's just that simple. But when we get to worship, it all looks the same. Wow. And I think if we can get past the cultural stuff, because at the end of the day, Kelly, it's about worship. And and it's about um, it's about getting in that place of worship that I, I think that can connect us all because we're all going to be in heaven together. It's not, there's not going to be a, a white section and a black section and a, you know, um, so it's, it's learning how to just um, connect and allow people their differences, allow, allow Kelly to praise God like he does and allow Sharon to praise God like she does. But when we get to that place of worship, it's the hallelujah. It's all the same, mm. you know, it, it's, and that, and that's the unity. I think that God really wants to see in his church, in his bride, you know, that we all come to that unity. I've never oh. heard the difference between praise and worship. I always connected the really? two of them. So what I, what I just heard from you, it, would you would you liken the praise then to the heat in the oven purifying? <laughs> would you? Um, I have to think about that. You know, it's possible. Um, but pr praise is... Um, so for me, praise is, first of all, praise is, is active and it, it's verbal. So it has to be seen or it has to be heard. Like, I can't praise you without saying something or doing something. It has to be seen or it has to be heard, right? Okay. And, it, and so our praise to God, it has to be verbal you know, um, it has to be active. There has to be some show of it um, because not only am I, uh, one way that I've seen, I've heard it said is that praise is horizontal. So it's horizontal in that the next person has to be able to see or hear what I'm declaring about God, that I'm declaring his goodness that I'm declaring his, his wonder, his might. Okay. So that's horizontal. But then when, when, when I go to worship, it's vertical because it's just that personal thing between me and God. Mm. That's, that's where praise kind of like, um, 
the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So it's like I begin to praise him and it gets his attention and brings him on the scene. Now, God is always with us. He's He's ever present, right? He's omnipresent. But then there's a different manifestation of his presence because he says where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst, right? Uh, and then there's that Shekinah glory. There's that like Isaiah chapter six glory that fills the temple and and it's just this wonderful glory cloud. Um, so when when we praise God, it's like, even though he's always with us, it's like getting his attention so he manifests himself in a different way, in a greater in a greater way. And then he becomes involved in it and it becomes worship. I, I put it this way. So you're married, Kelly, right? Yes, yes, very happily. <laughs> so praise is, you know, Oh, honey, you're so pretty today. You, you, you're just one. Oh, you're such a strong man. Or you know, it's the roses. It's the, it's the, it's the chocolates. It's the whatever that leads to a moment of worship, which is intimacy. Mm-hmm. So when you and your wife are in, so praise is the foreplay. There we go, and worship is the. <laughs> It's the intimacy. The good, and the it's good the stuff. Same way, with, same way with God. I think, you know, we praise him. We we declare and we brag on him. Yeah. And we get his attention and he comes and he dwells in that praise. And then it becomes personal. It's, it becomes worship. And, and, and when it's worship, I don't care who else is around. Everybody else is just like out of the picture. I'm just focused on him. Because it's it and it's totally, it's it's totally to him. It has nothing to do with anybody else. Mm. Nothing you, to do with anybody else. Can can you talk to those those people? And I was when I said those people. I was one of those people. Um, James Dixon made a comment too. By the way, he's he's snapping. He he said that. <laughs> he, he said Pamela Mayberry is now in prison. <laughs> he said what? He said Pamela Mayberry is now in prison. I don't know if I should be laughing at that, uh, but he, he, he commented. So give give the James Dixon, MC Troy D is in the house. So oh Lord, here we go. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> talk to the person when I say the person. The, the, I'm saying talk to me. When I used to be like, I'm going to show up to church like 15 minutes late because all that singing and stuff. I'm just coming for the word. Yeah. Can you talk to that person right now? Maybe it yeah. might be me. It might be, <laughs> no, I, I show up for praise. I show up for praise and worship now and I understand what the two are, but can you talk to that person? Yeah, sure. Um, so when we come together and, and, and there's this beauty, I believe in congregational worship, um, because it's it can serve so many different purposes. One, it creates an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can dwell, where he can come and not just give us a visitation, but he gives us a habitation. Um, I see it this way, that he's a king, right? He's our king of kings. And when we praise him, we're building a throne where he can come and he can sit there and he can 
He can sit in our midst. He can dwell in our midst. And when the king sits on his throne, he rules. So he's there to bless. He's there to rule. He's there to dispense blessings. He's there to, to meet you at the point of your need. But what it also does, it brings about this unity in the spirit where when we come together in congregational worship and we begin to declare the goodness of God and, and how great he is, and we begin to celebrate him, there's just this, um, there's this unity in the spirit. And then it, it prepares us. I think it prepares our hearts to receive the word. Um, at my church, as, as the minister of music at my church, what I have always done since day one, and I've been minister of music for 12 years now, um, is I get with the pastor to see what his message is about. And I choose all of my music around that theme so that even the praise and the worship, the choir songs, the hymn, whatever we do, it points to whatever that theme is because it's con it's getting us ready to receive the word. It's like breaking up the fallow ground. It's tilling the soil so that when the seed of the word is planted, it's planted in good ground. It can take root. Uh, and I think that praise and worship helps to prepare us for that. It helps to, it helps to bring our hearts and minds in. And then it just, it leaves room for, because God is present, we've, we've praised him and we've welcomed him into our midst. And so now he's there to do what he needs to do in the midst of his people. Do you know that God sings over us when we sing, when we praise? Really? He sings over us. Zephaniah. Yes. It says that he rejoices over us with singing. So when we sing, he'll join in and sing along. Does he have a better voice than me? <laughs> <laughs> he better. He better. Yeah. I hope you don't yeah. sound. I hope my sweet baby Jesus doesn't sound like me, <laughs> because I, I don't know if I get to heaven if if that was the case. Well, he all he said was make a joyful noise. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say you had to be a great singer. He just said make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's all you got to do. That's Sharon, all that's required. Sharon, how do you learn how to pray? Oh, I had to learn that it's just talking to God. I used to think it was this, um, oh. this, this like, yeah, like these, all these stoic words that I had to say with the these and, and the thous. And I had to know exactly how to word this and word that. And I had to come to the realization that it's just a conversation with God. I'm just, I'm just talking to him. I'm just pouring out my heart. I had a, I had a hard day today, God. Um, and, and then I also learned how to just um, not, and even though I do have those moments of prayer, you know, like my quiet time in the morning or certain point throughout the day, but I've learned how to just turn my thoughts toward him uh -huh. so that it's like a constant conversation with him. And 
you know, hmm, Lord, I, let me see, what am I going to fix for dinner today, Lord? You know, it, I just turn my thoughts toward him and, and I'm just talking to him throughout the day. God, I don't understand this. You know, why did this happen? Or, um, I really need your help on this because, you know, these girls, my daughters, they are really like testing me right now. So I'm like, God, I need your help. Now you're going to have to save them or something. You're going to have to do something because, you know, but it's, it's just having that conversation and just being real with him. Is there any, is there anything too big or too small to pray for? Cause this, in our oh. men's group, I'll have guys and we'll ask about prayer and they'll be like, you know, world peace or whatever it is. And you know, th <laughs> that way, but I, I, I feel like it's confession right now because I pray for some petty stuff. Like mm -hmm. all the guys were like, I really, you know, want my parent and my family to be better. And I was like, yes. And I was like, I want new rims for my Impala. Like, that's what I want. So I'm going to pray for that. Is there, is there, is there anything too petty? I don't think there's anything too petty. I don't think so. I think God just wants us to be real. At the end of the day, he just wants us to be real. That's the whole, that's the whole premise behind John chapter four, when he says um, that he seeks for worshipers. The Lord is seeking for those that will worship him in spirit and truth. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's about being honest, being real, not being phony, not being fake. And so many times, I mean, that was the issue with the Pharisees, right? They were phony. They were fake and, and they prayed just to be seen, to be heard. But, uh, but God wants us to just come to him honest, you know, just real. So you want new rims? Hey, just take it to God. You want, you know, now, um, if you said that when two or more are joined in his name, then, uh, he, he is there. Do you believe that these rims are coming for my Impala? <laughs> I am going to stand in agreement with you. I, I'm going to touch and agree with you right now. In the name of Jesus, we decree and we declare new rims. Craiger, Starwire, Spokes, old school. <laughs> Got to bring them. 63 Impala. Yeah. It'll be a blessing. And I, want and, you to, and I want you to let me know when you get them. Do you ever try and make deals with God? Like if you, if you bless me with this thing, then I'll tell everyone about you. Oh yeah. We all do. Kelly. <laughs> we all do. We all make deals with God. God, if you just give me out of this one, I promise I'll never do this again. God, you, if you I, just do this out, I promise I'll tell everybody. Have yeah. you, have you tried like seriously, like tried to get cause some prosperity like, you know, if you bless me with a couple hundred yeah. thousand, you bless me right. with this 10,000 right now, I will, you yeah. know what? Your kingdom will be blessed. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Man, all the work that I could do for the kingdom, all the things, all the people I could help. Oh, Kelly. Yes. All the, all the, you know, I, I mean, there are, I, you know, I would love to be wealthy. Lord knows I would love to be wealthy. And, and I'm like, God, if you just give me wealth, I promise the church will get their tithe. Yes. And then, uh, and then <laughs> I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. I've, I've told the Lord that I, I would, uh, I'd do a tour, you know, up and down the East coast singing. I wouldn't charge the saints nothing. Cause I'd have, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got it. I can handle it. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's been like years and years ago. I would, I, I had that 
that dream, like, Lord, you know, and, and the whole thing is, you know, we tell ourselves, oh, I don't want to be wealthy for me. I want to be wealthy to best people. <laughs> <laughs> I think God knows my heart. That's why right. I think that's why he's holding out on some stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And exactly. I want to, I want to, I want to go to the word cause, uh, in, uh, this was a big thing. I have to put on glasses cause I'm almost 50 now. And, um, Oh, I've got you beat. <laughs> but my my mom was big on this one, right? And so you referred to the word a lot. And so I want to go to Proverbs 31. And mm-hmm. Proverbs 31, she always told me, my mom always told me that, you know, find a, a Proverbs 31 woman. And then we read through this in our men's group and we were studying Proverbs 31. And one of the guys said what God gave to him was, Imagine the type of man you have to be to be able to capture, capture is a bad word, um, (laughs) to be able to have and keep a Proverbs 31 woman in your life. And then as we were studying it, God revealed, opened up the first 30 Proverbs were to build the character of a man that could handle a Proverbs 31 woman. Wow. And this was the, this was one of the things that, that he talked about, which was to speak life into your woman, but in this order. And I want to share it with you, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. Okay. He said, praise her in her confidence, praise her in her value, praise her in her hard work, her perseverance, her intelligence, her ingenuity, her wisdom, her prudence, her honor. And then finally, Praise her in her beauty. But he was very particular on the order because most men do it backwards. They praise the woman in their beauty and then they, all the rest of the stuff is like yada, 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 yada. Yeah. But he said a real compliment to her beauty will only land when you compliment her first in her confidence, value, her hard work, perspective, intelligence, integrity, wisdom, honor, prudence. Yeah, I I think that because honestly, I believe if a woman who has those qualities, um, there's going to be a beauty that will just emanate from her, um, you know, that has really not a whole lot to even do with what she may really look like on the outside. Uh, because it's it's what's on the inside that's going to shine forth, and and um, I, I I love that I love how you how you put that because we do tend to put more emphasis on the outward appearance before anything else, and of course men are highly visual, highly visual. Highly visual. <laughs> the the record wasn't skipping, guys. That was that was Sharon trying to help you to understand. They're highly visual, um, but and and but to be able to uh, to see those inward qualities in a woman, a woman of faith, a woman who um, who really loves God and and allows God to uh, be preeminent in her life and uh and those qualities and those characteristics shine forth again you know 
my mom, so my mom, you know, was, uh, oh, she was this amazing woman. She passed away in 2012. And, um, but she was, I think just the epitome of that Proverbs 31 woman. Um, and I really, you know, people tell me all the time that I remind them of my mom and I'm like, yes, because I, you know, I really want to be like her. I really do. Um, because she was just, she had this meekness, she had this calmness, this quietness, but she had this, this strength that was just unbelievable. And, and such a woman of faith, because even the whole, when my dad was uh, thinking about starting pastoring a church and he founded the church that he started, you know, he started it himself. Um, it was, it was, she was such a woman of faith and there was so much faith in that, in that walk that my dad named the church Faith Temple. So, um, and and that and and that faith was seen throughout her entire life. I remember sometimes as a young girl, I'd walk in the kitchen and she'd be in there cooking or washing the dishes. And and I heard her talking. And I thought as a young girl, I was like, my mama talks to herself. You know, I thought she was just talking to herself all the time. And back then, you know, they said a person talking to themselves, they crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> But I came to realize that my mom was in there. She was praying, you know, she'd be cooking and she'd be talking to the Lord. She'd be washing the dishes. And she'd be talking to the Lord. Uh -huh. And that was just her, that was her life. And so she, she was at Proverbs 31 woman. And I really believe that, um, I don't know if he noticed it right away, but after being married, they were married 58 years. I think he finally did see <laughs> all those other qualities that were present there, you know, in my mom, because um, to be able to serve with him being, you know, the first lady of the church and, and knowing how to deal with people, and interact with people and, and yet remain, um, rem you know, not trying to take over, you know, you've got some first ladies that will just, but she was just, she was just wonderful. She was the epitome of that. And I, and, um, I, I like that. I think if, I think if men paid more attention to those, to those other qualities, um, they would probably, um, their marriages would probably be a lot better. <laughs> I'm not trying to put what, all the weight on the men because that's what, I'm saying. That's, what that's where I was said, that's where I was about to go Sharon yeah, is I was gonna the chapters one through 30 tells the man how how to prepare to have a woman like that yeah it does but I'm again again like I'm not I'm I'm, I'm listening to him. I'm not saying that I'm happy about some of the things that he says to me <laughs> you know what I mean he's like you need to work for these 30 chapters and then I'm gonna yeah. like where where is where's the Proverbs 15 man you know what I mean? Like right. uh, us, us, you know, having this, you know, why not be appreciated for my beauty is what, what I started <laughs> to ask. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you, if you can, if you can, if you can love your wife, um, the way that the way that, you know, that's telling you, that's really telling you how to love your wife. 
and you know, yeah, that I think um, she will. I think for for a woman, it's it's that whole thing of just of honor, of of respect, you know, because he loves me properly. I can't help but honor him and respect him. And then the more I honor and respect him as the man, as the head or however you want to look at it, I think it it causes you to love her that much more which causes her to honor you that much more, which causes you to love her that much more. Because, you know, the woman was never told to love her husband. You know that in scripture? In my Bible, it says that in the first, (laughs) it was like, I think it was the 12th commandment (laughs) that said said, thou shalt, uh, you know, cook breakfast and love your husband and honor him, especially when he's doing the dishes or when he leaves the laundry in the washer for too long and then it gets kind of moldy. So even during that time to love him because he is just doing the laundry to, to, uh, try and, uh, provide for his family. That's right. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason why the laundry is stank. And <laughs> <laughs> my Bible didn't have that. Didn't have that. I haven't found that scripture. Mine's, in my Bible. mine's the new international West Coast version. Okay. Is what it was. I'll send that right. out to you. That's that West Coast I'll, thing. I'll, okay. send, I'll, I'll, send, I'll send that one out to you. Now, when that time comes, Sharon, when that time comes, and um, I'm not saying that you and I are going to heaven at the same time, but when that time comes and we go to heaven and you go to your first class side of heaven and I go to the really back of the coach <laughs> park, <laughs> I'm going to be climbing the wall. I'm climbing the wall. Sharon has got that first class. She's walking the red carpet right before she goes in. She got the gown. She got the hair. She got that yeah. smile. She's singing while it's happening. And while she's doing that and distracting all the people in heaven, I'm going to hop over the wall. <laughs> Well, as you walk down, as you walk down the red carpet, singing praises and just thanking him for everything he does while I'm questioning him. When it's all said and done, what do you want him to say about you? Mm. Kelly, I'm. I know, I know it's cliche-ish because of that, the scripture that says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But I want, I want him, I want him to say, yes, that I, that I did well. And, and that I want him to acknowledge me as, as his, you know, that I'm, I'm his child, um, and his love for me and how pleased and, and, and grateful he is that I'm there with him, that I'm finally there, you know. I so Kelly, I had I had to I struggled with something for a long time. Um and it's still an issue, but I'm gonna say probably the early 2000s I'm just I'm just I have this sense of 
just wanting to see Jesus. It's like, I just, Jesus, I just want to see you. I just want to be with you. Not that I had a death wish or anything like that. I just wanted to be with them. Um, and I didn't quite understand it because at one point I was trying to tell somebody about it and they were like, oh no, you got a death wish or something. I'm like, no, it's not a death wish. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to be with him. And it was a friend of mine who came down from Chicago and we were at lunch and she was telling me that what I had been called to do as a worship leader, she said, Sharon, she said, God has called you to himself. He looks forward to your praise and your worship. And, and you have been called to him. You minister to him. When you begin, he looks forward to it. When you open your mouth to sing or to worship, that that's what he's, he's waiting on that moment. He longs for that. And, and it helped me to understand that, okay, so my calling is to him, not necessarily the congregation or the people, but my calling is to him. So it helped me understand why I felt this longing for him. And, um, and I still have that, I still have that longing. I just, I, I love him so much, Kelly, that I just, I just want him to say, come on in, just come on in when I get there. Just, come on, I've been waiting on you. Come on, you know. Um, I know I still have work to do here, uh, you know, but when he, when he says my work is done, I'm like, yeah, Paul said, you know, to live is Christ. So while I'm here, I'm going to promote Christ. But to die is gain because I gain so much. I get to be with him. Well, I can, I can tell you from an outside standpoint, I'm obviously I'm not the voice of God. Um, but I can tell you from an outside standpoint, I, I, I can firmly, um, testify to you that God feels that way about you already. And to hear you through the time, like to hear you through this conversation, there's not one way, like, I mean, I was, I mean, again, like, I guess that you showed me that I'm a worse person than I thought I was, Sharon, because I, I was like, do you ever question God? And you were like, nope, uh, I'm, uh, I'm faithful and I'll, well, I'll go to, I'm joking with you. I'm kidding with you. Um, when, when you, when you said that uh, you just had this desire to see Jesus, I was like, well, could that be that he's calling you to a Mexican church? Um, so <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Could that have been your calling? Could that have been your calling? Um, so, but as I, as I hear you, I mean, all the things that you desire, I mean, honestly, you embody them. You embody every single one of those. And I believe that he's saying that to you right now. And I want to speak that life to you, that he's saying to you right now, you know, good and faithful servant. Like, I'm so proud. I'm so, I mean, you're such a phenomenal representation, you know, not of the, I'm scared of a relationship with God. Because a lot of people, when they have a relationship like you do, or that they're that they have the type of joy and happiness, a lot of times people are scared of them because they're like, "Well, my life it doesn't feel that way." But you bring a reality and and a gravity to uh, to a relationship with with God, and and you know you you make him cons- like 
people want to consume him because they're around you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a, it's a really, 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 really cool thing. You know, my mom joked one time, uh, with me, it was after, after she had passed, we were at church, I was at church and we took communion and, and my mom used to always uh, joke when she was alive and she would say, you know, this, these crackers taste nasty, which they do oh. like communion tastes nasty. It never tastes good. And <clears throat> I was taking the communion and I took the wafer and I was standing there by myself and I did. And then I took the drink and my mom was like, <laughs> If they would serve Twinkies and uh, Mountain Dew, a lot more people would get saved. That's what right. my mom said to me. And I'm laughing in the front by myself, looking like a crazy man. When you look like me and you talk to yourself or you laugh to yourself, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But I want to tell you that you you make it so consumable. You make people want to spend time and have a relationship with the Lord. Um. One of the things that I, I was sharing this not too long ago, because the whole month of October, uh, our church, our theme for the month was alabaster worship and it had to do with Mary or another scripture says a certain woman who brought an alabaster box and she broke it and she poured the contents on Jesus. Um, and so one of the things that I was sharing is that you know, the Lord, God, God tells us in scripture, he says, be ye holy for I'm holy. And I used to always think that that was this, this strict commandment that I had to be perfect because if I'm not perfect, God is going to knock me down and, and beat me over the side of my head because I messed up. And I, in, in developing my relationship with God, I came to realize that He's asking us to be holy because he's holy and he wants to be in relationship with us, but he can't be in relationship with that which is unholy. He can't, he can't be connected to something or someone that is not holy. It's just his character. At his core, God is holy and everything about God emanates or, or comes from the fact that at his core, he's holy. And he has such a desire to be in relationship with us that he just simply says, be ye holy because I'm holy. I, I want to be, I want to walk with you. I want to commune with you. I want to be able to talk to you daily. And it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, you know? I think it just means that we have to really have a heart for him you know, to do those things that are pleasing to him and and walk out our purpose, why he placed us here in the earth, that that we we have a desire to do those things, allowing him to help us do it and walk us through it and guide us along the way. Um and it's all about relationship. Mm. It's it's not about it's not about limits limitations being put on me because I'm a Christian. It's I can't do this or I can't do that. It's not about that. It's, it's just about relationship mm. and being able to have a relationship with him, you know? Sharon, I started the podcast because of my two kids, um, Maddox and McKenna. 
12 years old Maddox, 14 years old McKenna. And I mm-hmm. wanted to, I never wanted them to worship idols. I just wanted them to be inspired by icons like yourself. And mm-hmm. so what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names and refer to yourself as Auntie Sharon, it would be great. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, Maddox and McKenna, um, this is me, Auntie Sharon, and my, my, my word of advice to you would be to always seek to walk out purpose because purpose actually gives your life purpose. I mean, you know, purpose gives your life meaning uh, it gives you something to to look forward to every day, and as you as you grow, as you mature, as you develop, and you develop your relationship with God, purpose is going to become uh, more. Uh, you become more aware of what that purpose is, and then just trust God to allow you to walk it out. It's it sometimes it doesn't hit you like bam, this is my purpose. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. It's just as you walk out life, then you walk into purpose. And uh and so um if you live a life of purpose, you know, you'll live a full life, I promise you. A full life. Well, Sharon, you're an example of that. I mean, seeing it's not, I, I love it. My brother and I were just talking before we hopped on the podcast and um, we were just talking about lifestyle change and there's a difference between lifestyle change and you changing for a day or doing the hottest fad. And it was one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because there's so many people that talk about a theory because they read it in a book or they took a course and now they're a coach or they took a course. Now they want to teach that thing. But you have a life of work, like your body of work is your entire life. Like you've been in this and doing this and worshiping and praising your whole entire life. And who better as an authority (laughs) to share with us and to help us to realize, which for me, I'm so happy to understand the difference between praise and worship. I didn't know that. Like, it just, it, it blows my mind. You are an incredible, incredible, incredible human being. Um, for all, the, all of you out there uh, watching and listening, um, make sure you share this with, uh, with anyone and everyone that you possibly can because Sharon Jackson is, I mean, she's the real deal. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm excited because we're having the Vibe Room on uh, December 29th. It's in Salt Lake City. And we're going to have them throughout the year. And Sharon, I would love, it would be in my honor at some point to be able to have you as one of my musical artists at the Vibe Room. Um, to hear to. your voice, um, you're going to have to break songs sometimes because I'm going to have my hands up. Um, <laughs> okay. But I won't go as long, I promise. No, no, I want you to go as long as you want. I mean, it is <laughs> unbe- unbelievable. I just need to just break for a second and then God will be like, okay, son, you can put your hands down. But I, I put my hands down and God was like, bro, you're not, you're not praising me anymore. I was like, man. Um, (laughs) But I want to, I want to thank every person out there that's listening, that's watching the Sharon, because you've helped us to be able to get into the top 1% globally. Um, 
and all of our sponsors, Poppington's, uh, Finley, Volvo, Car, uh, Cars of Las Vegas, uh, Chris Nagel, the money, uh, the money multiplier and uh, uh, Private Money Club. And so every single person that's been rocking with the podcast, I want to tell you guys, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a, a project that has been probably one of the coolest projects I've ever done in my entire life. Um, if you have the opportunity, you're in Salt Lake, the Edison House for the Vibe Room. It'll be amazing. We've got the... Um, Paul Cardall, one of the most downloaded musical artists of our time. Uh, he's going to be there. I'm going to be interviewing him. We've got the, uh, uh, the, uh, one of the founding partners of Table One Hospitality, who's a partner with Michael Mina, one of the top celebrity chefs in the world, and creates a culinary experience at the highest level. And then we've got Mr. James Dixon, the best in mindset. Um, this guy is the absolute motivator, and he's unbelievable. And James is the reason why I got a chance to meet Sharon. Um, yeah. You know, Sharon, it has been my honor, my pleasure um, I want you on the show again and again and again yeah. and again and again and again and again and again. I'd love to. I'd love to. This has been great. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kelly. Oh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, how can people reach out and uh, and connect with, with Sharon? Okay. Well, they can connect with me on Facebook, um, Sharon D. Jackson, D for okay. Denise. Uh, also on um, uh, Instagram, same thing. Sharon, everything is Sharon D. Jackson. Okay. Uh, at Sharon D. Jackson, Instagram, um, Threads, uh, TikTok. It's all Sharon <laughs> D. Jackson. Uh, YouTube is Sharon. I think it's still Sharon D. Jackson. So um, that's how you can connect with me um, through my social media. And, and I invite you to, because some of the greatest music, honestly, it will, it will hit right to your heart. I mean, Sharon, what she does with music is, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, the way that you can move people, you can move a congregation. I believe that, that you move in the, uh, the culture and the community, um, which I think is unbelievable. Um, you are a, uh, you are an incredible, incredible, incredible human being. And I'm, I'm blessed to force you to be my friend. Um, also, you should, you should, uh, if you're listening or watching, you should get involved with her community on Facebook because being able to have that proximity with Sharon, um, she is really a person who is doing what she says and saying what she's doing, which is very, very rare in this world. I want to congratulate you on that. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure, Sharon. You're officially off the hot seat. Okay. <laughs> Oh,